looking at this portion, well-known portion last time, dealing with the essence and the issues of the armament, the armor of God that the Lord provides for us. Last week we were drawing our attention particularly to the verse 10 to 13, where the emphasis there was upon the source for strength that we have. All of our energy is to be found in the Lord, that which he supplies for it. And then the purpose of the armament that God has given to us, that we might be able to take our stand, that we might be able to enter in successfully and boldly to the conquest, the contest that we have against these spiritual forces, these great enemies of the gospel. And the whole purpose here is, as we put on this armament, that we do engage ourselves in the battle that is there. Uh, these are not just for parade. Uh, they are not just to wear for looks. Uh, these are very practical aspects of uh, the dress that we have that God has supplied for us that we then are to take advantage of uh, as we enter in uh, to the battles that are unavoidable, uh, really, in the Christian experience. All right, today, then, we want to come to the uh, aspects of the armament itself uh, that we see described for us at verse 14. Let's go ahead and read this passage once again to get the flow of thought, and then we'll address these thoughts in verses 14 and following. Verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles, the methods of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then, with that, praying always, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And then he continues some of the things for which we are to pray. All right, in verses 14 to 17 then, we see the strategy uh, of the soldier. We are told to stand. Our instructions are that we must withstand the enemy that is before us. And now the imperative once again at verse 14 here, the simple command to stand, therefore. And then a series of subordinate statements uh, that describe how uh, we are to stand. Uh, these are statements of manner. Some of you know Greek here. Uh, these are manner participles, if you will, uh, describing then the methodology, the means, the manner by which this command is to be obeyed. 
and there are instructions here uh, that draw our attention to specific elements and aspects of this Christian uh, armament. Uh, the first thing, our attention is drawn uh, then to our loins. We must have our loins girt about with truth. So the first thing that we learn here is to how we are to stand. Uh, we are to stand convicted with truth. We are to stand convicted with truth. Now, I think you're well aware of the imagery uh, that is described here, having your loins girt about. The imagery here is typically of that uh, flowing garment that was the typical garb uh, of the day. Uh, very cumbersome. I suppose it was fashionable enough, but not extremely functional as far as maneuvering. Uh, and uh, certainly battle would be concerned. Uh, and so the instruction here is that we are to gird up that, to hitch that up, uh, to pull up that long flowing robe around the waist, tied around the waist, so that there would be then freedom uh, of movement. Uh, and this was then typically secured. Uh, by a belt, military belt, upon which various things could be hung, uh, but it was there to secure that garment uh, and free the soldier up from any undue impediment uh, to his movement, to his running, to his charging, whatever uh, the operation is that he would be engaged in. So no tripping over things. Uh, here is the freedom of movement uh, that is being required. But the belt... Uh, and that is the primary uh, focus here. Uh, the belt that holds this all together uh, is identified here as truth. We are to gird ourselves up, to belt up ourselves with truth. Now, uh, I would s suggest to you, as I see it here, uh, that this is not truth in the objective sense only. It's not talking about the Word of God. That's going to be a particular and separate focus uh, a bit later in this description. Uh, I would see this rather as the subjective appropriation, that faithful appropriation, that using of the truth that we know. Uh, here is the truth that is personally considered, the truth that is personally believed, uh, the truth that is personally applied. Uh, it's not just theory. All right. We're not looking here just at theory uh, as to what truth is, as to what the Word of God is. Here is the truth that we ourselves have embraced by faith. Now, that requires certainly a knowledge of what that truth is. Uh, this is not make-believe. Uh, this is truth that is objective. This is truth that God has revealed. It is uh, not the figment of our imagination, but I say the attention here is not so much on the objective truth itself, uh, but to our personal appropriation, our understanding, our comprehension, our applying that truth uh, in our daily experience. We must be gripped uh, by that truth. And this certainly uh, is something that stands then at the very beginning of this Christian uh, armor, this Christian dress. Uh, we are battling and we are fighting and we are living in the reality uh, of the truth that we believe. Uh, it is the development of that truth, if you will, to our convictions uh, and to the experience and statement of our standards. I think we've talked about this before, but there is a progression, uh, if you will, 
between the Bible uh, and our lives. Uh, we believe that whatever the Bible says is true. Uh, we believe that. Uh, we have our affirmation in the authority and in the integrity, uh, in the inspiration, the infallibility of the Word of God. Uh, and we can affirm with absolute confidence that whatever the Bible says is true. Uh, and that's good. But if that's all I say, uh, if that's the only aspect of my creed, then I've got something out here uh, outside of myself. It's good I can look at that and say, yes, that's the Word of God. But unless that somehow makes its way to my life, it's nothing but theory. Uh, and this is not what we're talking about here. Uh, I believe that whatever the Bible says is true. Uh, I have my interpretations then of what the Bible says, and I am convinced then, I am convicted then, uh, that that is true, and then it makes its way into what we typically refer to as our standards, the way we live, the manner of our life, uh, and, and this is the day-by-day -day application of the implications of the Word of God. This is what the Bible says. Okay, good, I believe that. Uh, but what's the so what of it? All right, so what that the Bible says this? So what that this is true? What does that mean to me? And unless we get in every uh, situation and circumstance of our life, unless we get to the so what of the Bible, uh, it is just theory. Uh, it's just a textbook. It's just another thing that we can read when we want something to read. Uh, but there's something special about this truth, obviously. This is God's truth. It's what he has revealed to us. And he designs this and he gives this to us that it might have its evidence in the actual way that we live. The appropriation, the application of that truth uh, in our day-by-day -day battles. Uh, so believing the truth, if you will, uh, is quite a different matter uh, than simply saying the Bible is true. Uh, and, and I think this is what the Apostle is uh, drawing our attention to here. Uh, here is the personal appropriation and the personal exercise uh, of our belief in that truth that gets us ready uh, for the battle, the girding up here. This is, this is the preparatory work, all right? girding up the loins and hitching this stuff up and tying it around our waist with truth. Uh, that's the necessary preparation. Uh, we're not going to go into the battle unless this has been done first. Uh, and uh, I, I dare say if all we are concerned with here is concepts, it's not likely that we're going to get particularly involved just for a concept, uh, just even for this that we regard as being true. But when that becomes part and parcel of us, when we have appropriated that uh, truth to ourselves and begin now to live in the reality of that truth, uh, then we are ready uh, and making ourselves ready uh, to face then whatever conflict uh, is going to come. Uh, it's the personal truth here. It's the truth that sets us free, uh, and it's going to be certainly, uh, ultimately, uh, the appropriation of the truth, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that gives us the freedom uh, and then the readiness to take our stand against all of these wiles of the devil. We are laboring and we are battling with truth. So we must be convicted by and with the truth. Second thing that we see here uh, is the breastplate. Right. We have our loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. I would suggest here that we are then to stand confident in our justification. We are to stand confident 
in our justification. Now, the breastplate here uh, is that main piece of armament. And you understand that all of the imagery that the apostle is using here uh, is based upon real life. All right, these, uh, these pieces of armament, these pieces of weaponry, uh, were all part of uh, typical warfare. Uh, and certainly much of this is to be defined in the context of the Roman armament. Uh, the Roman army was that which was superior on earth at this time. Uh, the Roman legions were all over the conquered world, and anyone and everyone that uh, ever looked out their window in those days uh, would see some of these Roman soldiers, uh, and they would immediately understand the significance then of the imagery uh, that the apostle is using here. Uh, the breastplate uh, speaks of that Roman uh, armament, that part that covered the torso, uh, that covered the body from the neck uh, right down to the thighs. Uh, it was in two parts. It was in two parts. You have one part of this covering the front, uh, and you have another part covering the back. Uh, so don't be, uh, don't be swayed here, as it were, just by the translation breastplate. I've heard this explained sometimes, right? This is the breastplate. There's armament in the front. We have the front covered, but there's nothing in the back. There's no protection in the back. So the Lord never wants us to turn our back on the enemy. We are never to retreat. Yes, mm-hmm. stand up, stand up for Jesus. And all of that, and that's, that's good preaching, but it's not the imagery. All right. I submit to you that any Roman soldier that went into battle with his back uncovered was a fool. All right. And uh, he, he, at the end of the line, when they passed out armament or something, the back was covered. All right, the back was covered. If you understand what warfare was like, uh, much of this was in hand-by-hand combat. Uh, and the fact that the enemy was behind you at any given point was not a sign of retreat. It was a sign that you were in the thick of the battle. Uh, and uh, just to have your uh, front side protected uh, while fighting one guy, somebody else could come up and stick you in the back. That's hardly protection. All right, let's, you know, let's not just... And now, don't misunderstand me. We ought not to retreat. Right? Uh, we ought not to retreat. Uh, and I believe that. Uh, but that's not the point of application from this uh, particular statement. You with me? It's translated breastplate, but it does not in any way suggest that the only thing that was covered by this armament uh, was the front, that the back was left unexposed. The back was covered just as thoroughly. Here is a complete protection. All right, here is the complete protection uh, that the uh, Lord is supplying for us. Without this, the warrior was naked. Uh, without this, he was exposed to the enemy thrust from every and any side. Uh, this is what protected the vital organs. All right? This is what protected the vital organs. Uh, and again, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not much of a uh, physician. We've got a, we've got a doctor here, right? Doc, let me ask you a question. Uh, I can pretty much stab a guy's innards from the back as well as the front, huh? Sure. Right. So uh, you understand, right? You can get to it from both ways. And this is a complete protection. All right. Here is the complete protection uh, that we must uh, that we must be wearing. So that's the imagery. You look out there and you saw these Roman soldiers, and there was that uh, there was that armament uh, that was the source, his principal source of protection. Uh, in which he then would face with boldness. Uh, 
uh, and with confidence uh, the enemy that he was fighting against. Now, uh, this breastplate, this armament, is described here as being righteousness. This is our defense. What is our principal defense then? Uh, it is righteousness. Now, we understand that this term righteousness has multiple functions and multiple uses uh, in the New Testament scriptures. Uh, there is a sense in which this can refer to our personal acts of righteous. We are to behave righteously, obeying God and uh, following the Lord and obeying His precepts. All of that is our acts of righteousness. Uh, and there is a sense in which that word has that active notion. Uh, but I would uh, rather see here, and I think this certainly when we put all the theology of this together, uh, that this is not talking about that active righteousness of any given individual, uh, but is referring rather to that forensic righteousness, if you will, that imputed righteousness, if you will, uh, of our justification. That's why I made the proposition that I did, uh, that we are to stand here confident in our justification. It is our justification that enables us, the more we understand uh, the nature then of the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to us uh, in that justification, the more confidence we are going to have, the more boldness we are going to have as we face all of the opposition uh, that is around us. I dare say, uh, if I had to be protected if I had to protect myself just with the evidence of my own righteousness, uh, I would be pretty much exposed uh, in the day of battle. That would not be much protection. And I don't think it would be much different for you either uh, if you had to trust uh, for protection in your own abilities and your own acts of righteousness. That is hardly protection. Uh, but it's through uh, the understanding and it's through our confidence in that justification that we have uh, by God, by the mercy and the grace of God, whereby he regards the righteousness of Christ to be ours, that we have the defense against the attacks uh, of the devil. We can't resist uh, the accusations of our conscience. We can't resist the accusations of the law. We can't resist the accusations of the devil uh, on our own. But the more we understand, I say, uh, that we are covered, that we are clothed here and protected with the very righteousness of Christ, uh, that's what gives us the confidence uh, to resist. We have all of these tacks, and let's keep in mind that, a great, that much of this battle, all right, not limited certainly, uh, I'm not going to start describing all of the, uh, all of the battlegrounds in which this contest is uh, being fought, but I think you understand and I understand well that one of the most common battlegrounds in which this is, is in our heads uh, and in our own personal uh, minds and hearts. We have these accusations that are being leveled against us. Uh, the, the devil will make his attack that we have no right uh, to call ourselves and to regard ourselves as the children of God. Uh, and we look at ourselves and we have to agree with the devil uh, so often that there is not that within us. Uh, that would merit us to have any acceptance before the Lord. Uh, our hearts condemn us. Uh, our hearts condemn us. But I love what uh, John says there when he reflects upon the condemning heart. Yes, our hearts condemn us, but what? God is greater than our hearts. See? 
Uh, and here's this battle. Here are these accusations. Here are these innuendos. Here is all of this uh, that the devil hurls against the child of God. But where does our confidence come? Our confidence comes as we realize that we are protected uh, by the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. Uh, that it is all of his merit, it is all of his virtue that God now has imputed to us. Uh, and in essence, it clothes us uh, and surrounds us very personally, does it surround us. Uh, and that becomes, I say, the, uh, the real issue whereby uh, we can, with that confidence, uh, make our stand before, uh, before uh, the enemy. The imagery here uh, reminds me of this, uh, this text uh, in Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, if you look at Isaiah chapter 11, this is one of the great messianic uh, passages. Attention is here drawn to the incarnation of Christ various endowments of Christ, various engagements of Christ. And just in case someone has a Bible there with notes on it, that's a sermon I preached one time. All right, I see the notes that I have here in the margin of my Bible too, but I put them there so I can refer to them at will. All right, there you go. Uh, but we come to the engagements uh, of Christ. We see something on that in verse 4, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor, reprove with equity for the meek of the earth, and so forth. But verse 5 is where I want us to see. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle uh, of his reins. So here is this description of Christ. Uh, and as Christ engages himself in this spiritual battle, uh, as Christ fights the warfare, spiritual warfare, uh, the imagery here is a bit different, but in many ways much the same. That righteousness uh, is the girdle uh, of his loins. Now that to me is always, in, in some ways, an unhappy uh, translation there, right? Because of what we typically think of as girdles. Uh, not, not, not girdle like that, whatever you're thinking of. <laughs> I'm not going to pry into your minds. Uh, but girdle, not in the sense of underwear, right? But this is an outer belt, all right? This is the belt uh, of righteousness, the belt of righteousness. And the imagery here goes back to an old military contest uh, that, that we have recorded in, in many of the uh, Assyrian documents and whatever else that, uh, that the, the soldier would, would wear this particular belt and part of the uh, even in the military games, part of the contest was to remove this belt from your, uh, from your opponent. All right. So it's, it's a picture here of a warrior, of a contestant. Uh, and here is the Lord Jesus that has his loins girt about uh, with righteousness. But here is the difference. Uh, it's his own righteousness. There indeed is that active sense. And there is all of the worth of Christ. But he fights, if you will. And he labors, if you will. Uh, and does battle, if you will, uh, in the light of his righteousness. And so do we. Not in the light of our righteousness, but in the light and on the basis of his righteousness, that which he had uh, girt about his loins is now the very breastplate. It's the very central piece of armament that every believer knows. So resting on our justification uh, is what gives us the confidence and should give us the confidence uh, that we are not to be shaken 
uh, here in the face uh, of the battle. Uh, convictions here and confidence upon our justification. So the more we understand that, uh, the more we come to rest in the reality of that imputed righteousness of Christ, the more boldness uh, that it will supply for us uh, as we engage ourselves uh, in this most uh, fierce battle that confronts every one of us. All right, then we come to the third piece of armament here in verse uh, 15. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We must stand committed to the gospel. All right, I give you that proposition. That we must stand committed to the gospel. All right, here is the imagery as far as the armament is concerned. Our feet are to be shod in personal combat. And again, most of the warfare here uh, was not distant warfare. I think we talked a little bit about this last time. We have our particular concept of uh, warfare. We have... Uh, we have missiles that we can shoot from hundreds and hundreds of miles. Uh, we have aircraft that can zoom over and do their business and be gone. Uh, even the foot soldiers have weaponries that can shoot for uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of yards uh, against the enemy. Uh, but that was not the case here. All right, That was not the case here. They had a few catapults that could throw a rock for some distance. Uh, but most of the weaponry was by sword, by spear, by hand-to-hand combat. Uh, and we want to understand that uh, as the imagery here. So uh, in personal combat, uh, swiftness uh, and sureness of foot uh, was essential uh, to uh, be in that place of hand-by-hand, hand-to-hand combat and have the foot slip here or the foot slip there could be disaster, could be fatal. Uh, So it was necessary that even the foot gear uh, was appropriate for uh, for the battle. These were typically some kind of studs that were placed uh, on the shoe for traction, to give traction uh, in the heat of this battle. Now that uh, should be an imagery, I think, that's easy enough uh, for us to understand. Uh, Today we have shoes... Uh, for every occasion, right? We have shoes for every occasion. Uh, And I I think, personally, a lot of it's hype, uh, but we we have shoes for all of these occasions, all kind of... When I grew up, when I grew up, we have all... They were tennis shoes, right? They were tennis shoes. Uh, They were Keds. They were Keds. That's what I always, uh, always had. Or did I always want those? Or did I get the Kmart brand? I don't know. There were two big brands. Keds? No, not in my day. Not in my day. No. PF Flyers. PF Flyers. That's what I wanted. I wanted PF Flyers. Never got them. Uh, I don't think they make those anymore, right? But those PF Flyers, right? Canvas things. They look like those Converse things, right? canvas deals, PF flyers. Uh, even back in those days, we were label conscience, right? You look at, oh, kids, <laughs> I'm going to choose you last. Uh, but PF flyers. All right, now, but those did service for everything, right? If you wanted to uh, play play tennis, and you, you, you wore your PF flyers. If you wanted to play basketball, you wore the same PF flyers. If you wanted to do, you, you, you wore the same PF flyers. 
All right, but now you can't do that. All right, now there's a special shoe for tennis. All right, there's a special shoe for basketball. We've got a special shoe uh, for uh, for running, and a special shoe for jogging, and a special shoe for walking, and for those that have to get a slow start, I guess, before they run, they have these things that are called what? Cross trainers, right? In case you didn't have time to change shoes before you went to the car, to the, you know, whatever. They have all of these different kind of shoes, and it's big bucks, right? But we understand. We, we, we understand. Uh, we, we've got golf shoes, right, with spikes, and, and now at Larry's Place, you can't wear spikes anymore. You've got to wear the imitation spikes, the soft things, because all these different kind of shoes, right, and I, I, it, it comes into my little... Uh, area of vice as well in, in hunting, right? I've got boots that I wear for bow season, right? I would never in the world ever think of wearing a leather boot. Uh, going into a tree stand, it, I have to wear a rubber boot, right? Uh, and he said, uh, we, we understand what it means to have special shoes. Why am I saying all that? I don't know. Uh, but because here were special shoes, all right? Here were shoes that were designed for the occasion. Shoes that were designed for the occasion. There was a battle, and even in what would appear to be this uh, insignificant part of it, uh, the Lord, if you will, is thinking of everything as he supplies for us the armament that we need. He doesn't want us to be slipping here and sliding there. Uh, that would then uh, perhaps result in some, in some danger. So here are the gospel spikes. All right, here are the gospel spikes. Uh, that we are to wear. Uh, and what we wear, what is on our feet here, uh, is the gospel of peace. What makes us here now fit and able and swift in the battle uh, is that we wear the gospel of peace. The peace that results from the gospel. Here's the message. Right? Here indeed is the very message of grace. Uh, the gospel that we preach uh, how beautiful, and we see this particular association of the gospel often with feet for some reason. How beautiful are the feet of those that preach, uh, that preach the gospel? All right, the swiftness here, the readiness here to, uh, to give that uh, particular message of truth. And the gospel, I say, that results uh, in this peace. It secures peace. It gives the assurance uh, of divine favor and produces that joy as we... Uh, seek to do our service uh, for the Lord uh, in His army, even in the face of all of this opposition. And it's going to be the moving of the gospel. Right? Uh, it's going to be the moving of the gospel uh, that storms the very, uh, the, the very gates of hell. That's the message of our conquest here. Uh, and that is the uh, tracks, if you will, if we can keep this imagery. Uh, that's the tracks that we are to be leaving as we go from here to here. What remains is the evidence the gospel has been here. Uh, the tracks of the gospel are left uh, as we make our way through uh, those battle lines. So we are committed to the gospel. All right, the next thing uh, that we see here uh, concerns our faith. Verse 16, and above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. So we must stand concealed by faith. We stand concealed by faith. Now this particular uh, 
shield that is referred to here is literally the door. Right? Literally, it's the door. The door uh, of faith, which speaks here of the shape and the uh, size of this particular shield. It's that long, uh, oblong shield that would completely cover the body to protect the soldier, carrying this always uh, before him, uh, that as the enemy would, uh, at the distance, all right, this was the weaponry particularly that would be, or, or, or the armament that would be used for that distant warfare as they would hurl their uh, spears and their arrows uh, at the approaching legion. Uh, here is this door uh, that they carried before them. Uh, and in the Roman uh, techniques of battle, they would be almost interlocking arms and almost, as you look at the uh, the ranks of these Roman armies as they made their advance, uh, almost a solid uh, wall that would be coming toward the enemy. Well, here is this great door, this shield, uh, that covered completely the body. Uh, and here it's described for us as being faith. Faith, which is the exercise uh, of the regenerated soul. It's that, again, which apprehends and receives all the things that God has uh, supplied for us. Uh, it's faith, we are told, uh, that overcomes the world because that faith is uh, based upon Christ who is the uh, overcomer. But all of this is designed to uh, ward off uh, the uh, attacks and the missiles. Here are these little missiles that are uh, of some kind of combustible material that are being hurled against us. Uh, it's faith. But now, understand and keep in mind again what we know about faith. Uh, faith is never, uh, in the Bible, faith is never just a wishful thinking. Uh, faith is never just a uh, baseless hope. Faith is always based objectively upon uh, the object that is being believed. It is not just going through here hoping this stuff is going to work. Uh, it is not just a uh, careless and a without uh, conscience making our way through or consciousness making our way through. Uh, it is a absolute deliberate exercise of faith based upon the objective realities again of the Word of God. It is the appropriation and the defense that we use against the enemy by the Word of God uh, you think of, uh, again, the example that Christ has given to us uh, of that spiritual contest in the, uh, in the wilderness as the Spirit of God immediately after his baptism led him out to the wilderness. Forty days he was there being tempted by Satan. For forty days Satan was hurling these fiery darts uh, at Christ himself. Uh, and invariably every time a dart came, all right, we can use that imagery, maintain that imagery. Every time a dart came against Christ, uh, what was the shield that he used? It's the Word of God. Word of God. He brought up the Scripture. Uh, those three instances, every time he goes back to the book of Deuteronomy, he goes back to that book of law, that book of covenant promise. Uh, and that's the shield. And uh, as the dart comes there, that even Christ is using uh, is the shield that blocks off that uh, blocks off that uh, fiery dart, uh, and we have there Christ's faith 
Christ's faith. Uh, and and uh, that's a beautiful concept. Uh, the faith of Christ himself, not just the faithfulness of Christ, but that in the incarnation, in that time of humiliation, there was the exercise of faith, even on the part of the eternal Son of God. His dependence, his utter and total dependence and reliance upon his Father, upon his God, upon the Word. Uh, and, and that's what faith is. All right? Faith is that dependence uh, that we have on the resources that the Lord has given to us. Faith is that dependence that we have on the Word of God uh, that must be interposed uh, between ourselves and the attacks that are being leveled against us. And I submit that if the Lord Jesus Christ Himself uh, used the Word of God, if that faith Independence in the Word of God with the shield that he was holding against those specific attacks uh, of Satan against him, uh, then how much more so uh, ought we uh, follow that example uh, and know that dependence and that reliance upon the Word of God. We stand and concede by faith. All things are possible, we are told, because of faith. Not because of the operation of faith, not because of the exercise of faith, but because of the object of faith. All things are possible for those that believe God because all things are possible for God. And it is the object of faith, how often have I put this before you, that it is the object of faith that determines the value of faith. Uh, the strength of faith, the uh, legitimacy of faith, is always determined by its object. So here... Uh, is a faith that is well-founded uh, upon the objective truths. Verse 17, we have now the helmet, and take the helmet uh, of salvation. We must stand conscious of salvation. We stand conscious of our salvation. A summary statement here. The language changes a bit at this point. Uh, we have a brand new separate imperative command that is given here. We've had all of these specifics describing the manner by which we are to stand. Uh, but now almost in synopsis, uh, we have this uh, reference to the helmet. Put on, take on the helmet of salvation. Now obviously the helmet is that which goes upon the head. Uh, Roman helmet usually constructed of leather that was strengthened with metal plates. Uh, that would protect the head uh, against the various blows that would be leveled against it. Now, the head, obviously, uh, is that which uh, was going to be very susceptible uh, to attack. Uh, it's going to be the head that was more exposed in many ways than anything else as far as the body was concerned. Necessary to have the head protected. I would take here that the reference here in this context of the head is there in terms then of the place of thinking. What goes on in the mind? What goes on in the mind? I submitted a few moments ago that uh, very often the hottest battleground that Christians experience is in their heads. Uh, that, uh, that attack that takes place within uh, our mind. Uh, the doubts, the fears, the anxieties, the wonders, and whatever else, as all of that is taking place inside of our head, it's important here uh, that the head be protected, that the thinking, that the mindset, that the mindset might be upon our salvation. 
here is the mind protected. It is the mindset, if you will, uh, of grace uh, itself. Conscious. Right here is the consciousness, uh, the active mindset that we are to have uh, as we face the issues of life. We are partakers of spiritual life. Uh, it is that salvation that secures us ultimately and really from all danger. Uh, and I, I think all Paul is saying here is people live in the reality. Live in the reality of this stuff that is true. Get your mind set upon this. Get thinking about what it is to be saved. Get thinking about that. Here comes this attack. Here comes this doubt. Here comes this fear. Get thinking about what it means to be saved. So many of us tend to live our lives uh, without reference to these gospel truths. Uh, and when we do so, obviously, uh, we're going to be overtaken and overwhelmed by those thoughts and by those attacks. Just get thinking about the gospel. If my mind is fixed, oh yeah, I've got this shield of faith. Uh, oh yeah, I've got this breastplate of righteousness. Oh yeah, I've got this truth that is girt about my waist. I've got all of these things. Be factoring these in. Wearing the helmet of salvation is simply factoring in uh, to my life and to my thought processes uh, and therefore into my experience all of these things that are objectively true. How often, again, have I said this to you, that thinking determines behavior? Thinking determines behavior. Uh, what I think about determines what I do. Right thinking about the gospel produces right living in the gospel. No thinking about the gospel is going to produce a careless life uh, in terms of the gospel. You just start thinking about the things of grace. That's the helmet of salvation. Don't make this too mysterious. Uh, it's just thinking about and bringing the mind uh, into operation upon those things that God has dealt with us and done for us uh, in terms of His great and free and vast salvation. The last thing then that we can see, as far as the armament is concerned, is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We must stand then conquering with the Word of God. We stand conquering with the Word of God. The sword here, I think this is well recognized by many that read through this text, and of all of these things, the sword is the only offensive uh, part of the uh, setup that we've seen. Everything else is defensive. Getting ready with the truth, protecting ourselves with the righteousness, all of these other things have been defensive. Uh, we have but one weapon. We have but one offensive weapon, and that is the sword of the Spirit, which is identified for us here very specifically as the Word of God. Uh, here is that sword, which is meant to cut down the enemy, uh, meant to destroy the enemy. Uh, we must be able to wield that sword. This is a common imagery, uh, again, that the Scripture itself uses to describe itself. Uh, the Word of God is like a sharp two-edged sword, we are told, having that ability to cut through and discern uh, even between our souls and spirits, that which I don't have the ability to do. I confess to you, I don't have a clue as to what the difference is between soul and spirit, but the Word of God can discern right between the two of them. Uh, listen to that old argument, are you trichotomist or dichotomist? My answer very simply, I'm dichotomist, God's a trichotomist. 
Right? You understand what I mean? Because man has no comprehension. There's no way that we can know what the difference is. Uh, is there a difference? I'm happy enough to say there is, but only God knows. And the Word of God can penetrate into the very innermost being uh, of our existence. Uh, when Christ comes, and we see the glorious Christ there in the Revelation chapter 19, He comes with that sword, uh, which is the Word of God right out of His mouth. Uh, and that is the offensive weapon even of the conquering Savior. 